You're listening to Doing Law Differently. Join me, Lucy Dickens, as I explore how the world's most progressive legal service providers are doing law differently. Hi everyone, Lucy Dickens here. Welcome back to the Doing Law Differently podcast. If there's one positive that has come out of the current health pandemic, it's that businesses are absolutely being forced to think outside the box. I've seen examples in my local community of restaurants and cafes that have suddenly turned from dining in businesses to now being completely takeaway. They've redesigned their menus. They've managed to set up delivery. Someone's gone out and bought a scooter so that they can do home delivery themselves. They're baking meals that you can freeze so that you can then feed your family at home. There's local beauty salons who are no longer able to do nail and beauty treatments have put together packages so that people can remove their fake nails safely at home if they can no longer do it with a professional. There are bakeries who are putting together packages that people can bake their own bread at home. Brown's Milk are now restarting their milk delivery service like the good old days. There are lots of different things going on. In the legal profession, most of us are now doing law differently to the traditional norm that requires people to have bums on seats in an office, nine to five or perhaps longer. We're now all mostly working remotely. Many of us are trying to adapt and pivot our services, change the way we offer them to try and help the new challenges that customers face. Primarily video conferencing is one that's definitely seen a real boost I would love to speak to someone on the podcast who has done a real pivot, somebody whose business has changed substantially from pre-COVID-19 to current day. If that's you, if you've had to pivot and to really change the way that you do business, as well as things like working remotely, which is probably quite common now, get in touch with me. I'd love to have you on the show, interview you and share some examples of the kinds of things that you've been doing. Last week, I spoke about four things that you should be doing now that you're set up for remote work. I encouraged you to find some calm amongst the chaos, to get grounded and to make a plan, figure out your finances, tune into your customers and find a support network. Among all those things, my real focus at work this week has been on systems. Systems and processes are really my superpower. Lots of people have commented that I have a knack for finding the path from A to B and for designing the systems and and streamlining the processes that are going to get us there in the most straightforward and simplistic way. I think about systems as being the business equivalent of a baking recipe. Effective business systems are the difference between a business that rises and one that sinks. Over the last few years, I've implemented comprehensive systems for all of our core practice areas. These have enabled us to really improve our customer experience, to make service provision far more efficient, reduce errors, improve quality, really train and develop staff, and also increase our profits by reducing costs. I'm going to come back to those benefits and talk more about those another day, but for today I want to focus on practicalities. Sorting your systems is one of the parts of the nine-step framework that I teach in my coaching. It's something that I encourage my clients to do all the time, not just in crisis time. But like many other things, sorting your systems is even more important when all of a sudden your team is unexpectedly working remotely and you're not all sitting in front of each other every day. There might be a time and place for winging it, but when your staff are already under huge amounts of pressure, not only business pressure, but life as we know it has changed dramatically. Let's not add extra stress by making them figure out this changes for themselves every single day. 
Get your systems in place, create some clear guidelines and precedents for them to follow. So today, that's what I'm going to help you with. When I teach or coach on Sort Your Systems, I teach seven steps, which I'm going to take you through today. And I'll also share some examples of the kinds of questions I've been asking myself and the kinds of changes that I've been implementing to our systems at our law firm. Step number one is to identify. This is about choosing a scenario that you want to improve. I usually suggest starting with volume, something that you and your team are doing a lot of, somewhere where you can get some fast wins and some quick benefits so people can really see the impact of the changes that you make. With the systems that I've been improving at our firm, I'm obviously not starting from scratch here. We have very well-developed processes and systems in place for all of our core practice areas and all of our core services. So I've been looking at making changes and improvements as opposed to starting from scratch. The three main ones that I had identified to improve were firstly new verification of identity processes, which can no longer be done in person at our office, which was our usual procedure. New processes for signing wills, which again can no longer be done in person. In fact, it's more broad than that. It's about taking instructions for preparing and signing wills. And then thirdly, a new booking procedure for online meetings. And I'll share some specifics as we go through, but those are the three things that I identified as being likely to lead to the most amount of stress or confusion with our staff, but also with our clients. And so those were my focus areas. I encourage you to just start with one, although you might find, as I usually do, that improving a process in one area ties in so well with another that you end up broadening your scope. But look, let's just choose one thing. Start with one scenario that you want to improve. Number two is to map. We're talking about process here. So you might want to use a traditional flowchart or you might choose to map in swim lanes using post-it notes. And it's that second option there is my favorite. Post-it notes are really helpful because you can move them all around. But whichever option you choose, the idea is to get it visual, get it out of your head and onto paper, onto a whiteboard, onto a wall, somewhere where you can see it. If it's an existing process, map it as it is now. Map what you currently do. If it's something brand new, map your ideas. This is how I think it could work. Step three is then to review it. Look at what you've already got and identify pain points. Where are your staff frustrated? The best way to do this is with, I find, with dot stickers. You can give them to your team and ask them to stick a sticker on the areas that they dislike, things that take too long, things that frustrate them, things that their customers are always asking them questions about. That's really helpful because you're able to then see visually where you've got clusters of dots and you can really quickly identify where the areas are that you should start. Start, obviously, where you've got most dots. If it's a brand new process, you might not know yet where the pain points are, but you can still take step number three to stand back and review. Brainstorm, ask yourself, how else might we be able to map this process? How else could we organize it if we move some of the steps around? Do we need to add steps, take away? It's really important to sort of take a step back at this point and look at the process and really analyze it in that way. Once you've done that, step number four is to eliminate. And this is about just finding steps that you can simply get rid of. Like many of you, we started using Zoom video conferencing in our business. And to make life easier for our staff and for our clients, I wanted to integrate that with our booking form. I use Zoom for my coaching and for my podcast, and I I integrate with Calendly, which I use for booking appointments into my calendar. 
And that integration creates a custom URL for the Zoom meeting and that is sent to the attendee. We don't have that with our practice management software in the firm. Although our online booking form, which we have for clients to log on to and create, um, which we have for clients to log into and to make their booking with our staff over the internet, that is integrated with our practice management software, but the Zoom meeting isn't. So my starting point was that customers could book in for their video conference using our online booking form. They didn't have to phone us. They could do it after hours, all those sorts of benefits that come with that. And then our staff would create the meeting in Zoom and then email the Zoom URL to the client and they would have the booking details, which was good. I decided to do it this way so that we could have a custom meeting room for every client and we didn't have to worry about people jumping into an individual's meeting room when there were other conferences going on. But it very quickly became clear to me that that system was not going to work. I was asked in the space of about two hours to send out five or six meeting room URLs and I instantly knew that this process was not going to last me. It needed to be done differently. So instead, I changed our booking form to automatically populate the Zoom URL of the staff member that the meeting was with. And now that staff member just has to lock the room when their client comes in so that other people can't enter too. I know it sounds like a really small change, but it's actually quite significant. We're now saving ourselves a hell of a lot of time in sending out those custom Zoom meeting links. And in the meantime, my practice management software developer is speaking to Zoom to see if we can get that integration going to further automate that and actually give me my ideal. But you can see this is about keeping in touch and applying feedback in real time, which is really, really important. So step four, eliminate, is all about identifying areas that are really redundant. What can we just get rid of? How can we do it in a different way? And we can simply eliminate those steps, which is exactly what I did with the Zoom meeting when I realized that my desire to have custom meeting URLs for every meeting was just taking too much time. Before the current health pandemic hit us, I wrote a new ebook, 80 Tips to Make Your Law Firm Survive and Thrive. It's not corona crisis specific, but it is filled with 80 short, sharp and practical tips to help you firm your foundations, sort your strategy and optimize your operations so that your law firm will survive and thrive. You can download it for free at lucydickens.com.au forward slash thrive. Step number five is to simplify. Quite often, one of the easiest ways to simplify a process is to combine steps or to reorder. So we're moving things forward or sending things back. My favorite mantra comes from the Goldilocks fairy tale, and that is as much as necessary, as little as possible. And it's about finding just the right amount of steps in a process, just the right amount of communication, just the right length for a letter, just the right amount, as much as necessary, as little as possible. And that's what simplification is all about. Now, we're talking big picture at the process level, but that can't be removed from the finer detailed touch points that come within that process. So as well as thinking about how you can simplify the overall steps in the process, also think about how you can simplify the communications within it. Those things really do go hand in hand. In my case, I mentioned before that one of the things I've been working on is new processes for signing documents in person. And the way I approached this is I completely duplicated the templates that we have that deal with in-person signing and remade them for COVID-19. 
Yes, it was quite a lot of work. It took me a few days to do, but I will save that time tenfold when the staff don't have to manually edit each document every time they create it. I don't have to telephone each client to explain the new process because they've got a template that sets it out for them. So wills are now being signed remotely and I have updated our instructions for will signing to create an infographic. Clear instructions about signing wills has always been important, but it's more important than ever now our clients aren't signing them in front of us. I took this opportunity to recreate our letter that was still about a four or five page letter with all sorts of information about signing your will, storing your will, informing your executor, all of that kind of information that people need to know once they get to the end of the estate planning process. But I've recreated that four or five page letter into a simple infographic and we now are able to communicate much more clearly with our clients And that's another positive that's come from these circumstances. That is an example of something that's been on my to-do list for quite some time and just hasn't quite managed to make it to the top. But COVID-19 and the changes with remote work and video conferencing and all of that kind of thing has meant that that change has been turned around super fast and will have an ongoing benefit for the business. So think about what steps in the process you can simplify and how you can also simplify your communications within the process as well. Number six is to automate. Now you've got a great system, you can then look at what you can automate. In terms of automation, I mentioned some of the things I've been working on with our online booking form and how that integrates with our calendar and our practice management software and the future changes that I want to automate. Now I know that I've got my Zoom thing set up right. The other main thing that I have automated is our verification of identity process that we use primarily for conveyancing and for PEXA, uh, which is e-conveyancing transactions. We have shifted from an in-person verification of identity and we are now using InfoTrack's web VOI service, which is actually really good. I did a pretend VOI on myself so that I could test out the system and see what it would be like for our clients who are using it. And it's really, really intuitive and really user-friendly. So I'm really quite pleased that we've moved towards that system. But once I knew it was the right one for me, I then looked at how I could automate integration of that system with our current processes For me, that meant updating our process model, which currently sets out the workflow for conveyancing and creating tasks that automatically send our staff members off to InfoTrack to send the web VOI invitation at the appropriate time. And then we have integration with InfoTrack through our practice management software. So I then looked at how I could get the VOI information to be automatically exported from InfoTrack and put into my practice management software without our staff having to log in and download documents and upload them to the system. I wanted that all to be streamlined and also to record the disbursement as well. I think it's $9.90 to do a VOI. So at the time when that VOI summary is automatically put into my practice management software, the disbursement is also recorded. But there was no point in me even trying to figure out how that would look and how that would operate until I had decided that web VOI was right for me. And I did spend quite a bit of time testing it and trying out some alternatives before I got to the stage of integration and automation and actually hard coding that web VOI service within our process. But when I decided it was right, it's really important for me to hard code it. Like I've said at the beginning, I don't want people to have to 
ask themselves or question what the right thing is to do. I want it to be obvious. I want them to know. I don't want them, amongst all the stress that they're already dealing with, to have to worry about small decisions like what is the appropriate way for me to now do a VOI. I want that information to be readily available for them and to be intuitive within the systems that they're already using. Number seven, if you can't automate, then consider whether you can delegate. This is usually the last step that I teach on my systems training and it's all about finding the right person for the job. Often you'll find that once you've got a great system in place, work can often be pushed down. When there are really clear guidelines and processes and templates and precedents for how things should be done, it's often the case that it can be done by somebody else and so delegation then becomes much easier. Let me recap those steps for you. Number one, identify. Number two, map. Three, review. Four, eliminate. What can you get rid of? Five, simplify. Remember my mantra, as much as necessary, as little as possible. Six, automate. And seven, delegate. Now, as I was preparing this episode, I came up with another step. And I'm calling this a bonus step, number eight, which is to train. Although I actually think, the more I think about it, this is part of systems and should perhaps become part of my framework on an ongoing basis, not just for Corona crisis. But the point of step number eight, train, is that systems are no good if people don't know how to use them. We're seeing a trend away from user manuals. You might recall if you've bought a phone recently, an iPhone or a printer, they don't come with the user manual anymore that tells you this is how you switch it on and this is how how you get started. Those things just don't exist anymore. Instead, we're leaning more towards making that setup so intuitive and user-friendly that you just don't need these guides that go alongside it. But when you have new systems, sometimes you do need the guidance that goes alongside it, especially if you're not all in the office and your team can't just pop their head up and ask how something works. So once you've got your system in place, it's really important to think about what needs to be explained and where you can do it. For me, that new verification of identity process that I told you about, remember, I managed to automate a lot of that process. And if I just did that without telling people what was happening, they would be clueless. They would have no idea. They'd probably spend time trying to figure out how it happened that this VOI checklist has just managed to find its way onto their file when they didn't put it there. So it was really important for me to explain what's going on, both in terms of the actions that they need to take the actions that their clients need to take because they've never used this system before and what happens behind the scenes. The easiest way for me to do that was to update our firm wiki, which is just our knowledge management system that we use on SharePoint. And I explain there exactly how the system works. I say, you know, the process model will prompt you to send your invitation on InfoTrack and then the client will go and take photos of their ID and upload it to the system. And then once they've done that, Contacts Law and InfoTrack will integrate to record your disbursement and register the VOI and then your job is then to go back and have a look at it. So all those kinds of things are explained on our SharePoint platform. And I've done that using a combination of text, you know, step number one is da 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 da, and also video. I really like doing video screen recordings and I either use Zoom or Loom to do that. And I find the real advantage there is that not only can staff look back on it and they can use it to follow, it also really helps for new staff. We don't have to spend time teaching them the fine details of every single process if there's somewhere that they can go to have a look at it. 
So my new number eight is to train. It's really important not just to get these systems in place, but to make sure people understand how they operate. The other advantage of that is that they can identify if the system isn't operating how you think it should be operating, and then they can report any bugs or any errors in the system back to you so that you can then go and fix them. So there you have it, my seven, now eight step for process improvement. My challenge to you is to identify one area of your firm that will benefit right now from having a decent process. Whether it's something high volume that you're doing all the time that you think could really benefit from being perhaps a bit more streamlined or automated, or if it's something that's changed recently and you you see that your team will benefit from having a clear process to follow and they know exactly what they should be doing. Start with number one, identify that area and then follow the rest of the steps to put some improvements in place. Remember, this is all about certainty, making life a bit easier for ourselves, removing some of the stress and the mental load. And also making life easier for our clients as well. This is something that we all need right now. We all need to be able to lift a bit of the stress. If we can make something easier, then that's what we should be doing. So as you look at your processes and you start improving and refining them, think about how you can do law differently within that. Think about what you can do that's going to set you apart and really position your firm for success in the coming months. And if you need help, reach out. You can find out more about my coaching at lucydickens.com.au forward slash coach. See you next week. Thanks again for tuning in to Doing Law Differently. If you enjoyed the episode, I'd love you to leave me a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find out about the show and I love hearing what you think. Otherwise, if you're not on Apple Podcasts, send me a message and let me know. You can find all the past episodes at doinglawdifferently.com.au.